0: Good morning. So, full disclosure, I was ill this past week, and so my throat has, everything else is fine, but my throat is still a little scratchy. So I'm going to rely on volunteers to read the scriptures to give me a little bit of a break. So please put up your hands. (laughs) (laughs) When I ask. That's all. Um, So when Jeff asked me to, if I'd be willing to do one of the Cosmic Christ Series talks. I was excited because John 1 is one of my favorite, and this topic is one that has been very meaningful to me in recent years. Um, What I didn't realize, though, is how much I actually needed this right now in my own time and journey. As I've been preparing over the last month and a bit, I have had quite a few uh, tears in public places moments um, on the plane ride with Jordan, in the gym at one point, um, as the reality of kind of what the cosmic Christ means for us kind of hit me in waves. So a bit of a warning. This is a big topic. Cosmic Jesus in the real world. It's very grand. Um, and anything I say today is going to be a gross simplification of this beautiful and complex mystery. Um, but I have loved wrestling with it, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. So thanks for being here. Um, I also just want to say off the top that I have borrowed heavily from Father Richard Rohr in his book, The Universal Christ. I actually joked with Jeff at the beginning that I was just going to read selections for the entire 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, um, but just know that. Um, if you were here in January, I hope you had the opportunity to catch part one and two by Jeff and Uncle Jay. I was very thankful for the way they grounded this topic um, because it's a big one. They both spoke about this mystery that even in the last few hundred years, we, when we have explained away much of the world, it still exists. It still attracts people. We are still curious about the world and the seemingly unexplainable. And to be honest, that's one of the things that still, like, draws me into spirituality is that, that mystery. I don't ever want to live in a world where I understand everything or know how everything works. Um, I love a little mystery. And we see that longing for something more show up in so many traditions. Comedian Pete Holmes has a little clip that speaks to this. Um, Before we watch it, if this clip inspires you to watch any of his other specials, or the special this is from, I will warn you that I could not show most of it in church. So, this little clip, um, we'll we'll check it out, go for it. Like my God is not an old man in the sky, it's a metaphor for a mystery that absolutely transcends all categories of human thought, including being and non-being, but that's too many words for the back of a quarter. That's Joseph Campbell. I got all the best teachers later in life, like Barry Taylor, the road manager for ACDC said, God is the name of the blanket. We put over the mystery to give it a shape. Shouldn't I have learned that in church? Why am I learning this from Barry Taylor, the road manager for ACDC? just a little bit, but we see this curiosity about mystery everywhere. Uh, So much of our cultural discourse for as long as we have record of it in books and art and music and film is rooted in a curiosity about what's going on kind of behind the curtain. So since January was a long time ago and not all of you were here, I'm going to have us start by reading the entire beginning of John 1. I feel like I'm, can everyone see that? You guys, you can look around. Okay. You members, perfect. Then <laughs> we're um, We're gonna read it from the message because I like it best. That's the main that's the main reason. So, um, well, it's two slides. So, we'll maybe if someone could read the first slide and then someone could read the second. Who wants to read the first one? Jamie and the second one, Sarah. Okay. Word present to God. God present to the word. The word was God. In readiness for God from one day. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without him. What came into existence was light, and the life was light to live by. The light, light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. There once was a man, his name was John, he was sent by God to point out the way to the light. Life. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe. John was not himself a type. There to show the way to the light. The light was the real thing that every person can bring light, he brings into life. He was in the world, the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him.
1: But whoever did want
0: him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves. Their child of God's selves, these are the God begotten, not blind begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes the one of a kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So before we dive into it, I want to establish kind of some assumptions that I'm working with and some ground that we already covered in the previous two talks. So first, as it says in the first part of John 1, the cosmic Christ is the source of all life. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without him. Or verse 10 in the NIV, also a good version, uh, though the world was made through him. Creation is, in many ways, kind of the first carnation. Everything visible, or incarnation, everything visible without exception is the outpouring of God. As it says in Colossians 1, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Secondly, as it says in verse 9, the cosmic Christ is the true light that gives light to everyone. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. John says this in John eight twelve, Or sorry, Jesus says this in John eight twelve. I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. The interesting thing about light is that it is not actually something on its own. You can't touch it. You can't taste it. You can't even really see it. And as Richard Rohr says, the light is actually what enables you to see everything else. It is through the light of Christ that we see everything. Both Jeff and Uncle Jay touched on the darkness because it's kind of unavoidable. Quite often it feels like the light is extinguished by the pain and the suffering we experience. We've all known that feeling kind of as the light goes out or it fades and that feeling of hopelessness or sadness or anger or suffering floods in the darkness. John talks about the darkness more in his later letters. In 1 John 2, 9 to 11, it says, anyone who claims to live in God's light and hates a brother or sister is still in the dark. It's the person who loves brother and sister who dwells in God's light and doesn't block the light from others. But whoever hates is still in the dark, stumbles around in the dark, and doesn't know which end is up, blinded by the darkness. I'm thankful that the scripture doesn't deny that the darkness is real. It doesn't sweep it under the rug or undersell how powerful it can feel. I've spent a lot of time stumbling around in the dark, even though I know of the light and what it's like to live in the light. I also appreciate that it acknowledges that sometimes we block the light from others. We can actually cause others to live in the dark by blocking the light from reaching them. And on the flip side, for any of us who have sat in the darkness, maybe in a hospital bedside, maybe holding an anxious or scared child, maybe trapped in the confines of our own thoughts or a body that feels like it's betrayed us, even the tiniest sliver of light breaking through makes a difference. As we see in 1 John 2, the light to live by, or the life light, reveals love. Love is what is illuminated by the cosmic Christ. It is what we see when the darkness is pushed out. So the cosmic Christ is the outpouring of God, who is love, into the world. We and everything else in creation were formed by love and we can live in the light of that love. We come from love and are always moving toward a more inclusive love. And love, as always, leads us to the incarnate Jesus Christ. Uh, Richard Rohr in the book has a whole chapter called Christ is not Jesus's last name, which I always find funny. (laughs) Uh, A description that I have found pretty clarifying over the years is that Jesus Christ is the outpouring of the cosmic God into a human, doing what God always does, reconciling two unlike things, showing us oneness is possible, putting God and human together in one body. Or as John says later in 1 John 1-2, the infinite life of God himself took shape before us. So the cosmic Christ, the light, the word, the life had always existed and was participating in the world since creation but chose to come and reveal God in ways we could see, feel, and touch, showing us how to be human. And we know that until that time in history, most views of the deities at the time were seen as violent or vengeful or manipulative or just uninvolved altogether, just keeping things in motion. After Jesus demonstrated what God is like, it enabled us to believe in a rational, compassionate, forgiving God. As our pas- our passage today says, God's generous inside and out, true from start to finish, and Jesus came to show us what God is really like. Or as Jeff quoted from T.F. Torrance a few about a month and a half ago now, there is no God behind the back of Jesus. God is really like Jesus. So the risen Jesus reveals to us the pattern that the cosmic Christ always follows always moving toward resurrection and redemption for all of creation. He reveals, as I just mentioned, two unlike things being held together at once. God and human, suffering and love, joy and pain, sacrifice and freedom. Jesus is the grounding of that mystery of Christ. And as it says in John 12:41, a glimpse of God's cascading brightness that poured through the Messiah. So Romans eight twenty nine. If someone wants to read that, so I can take a drink. Anyone? Jordan, I, I saw your hand go up. I know you love reading. So, yeah, <laughs> you'll never move again. Go for it. God knew what He was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him along the same lines as the life of His Son. The Son stands first in the line of humanity He restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there. Anyone want to read this one? Jeff? We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head, as a body. He was supreme in the beginning, and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. So when we read these verses about Jesus Christ, we see these words speak about so much more than the 33 years that Jesus spent on earth. They are talking about the vastness of the cosmic Christ. And when we turn back to our passage in John, we are faced with a question. If this lifelight is in and available to everyone, as it says in there, then why follow? What is the point of receiving and believing? This has been the question that I've been hung up on for quite a while now. Um, I have come to believe strongly that God really does mean that their love, reconciliation and resurrection is for everyone. That us Western Christians maybe don't have the market cornered. So the lens I wear is a pretty universal one. The divine love will win in the end and I truly believe that. This was a shift from the faith I had as a child, a youth and a young adult. Over the past decade, I walked through experiences in my family, with friends, in our faith community that led me to be overwhelmed by the expansiveness of God. I had walked through much of life with God in a pretty tidy little box, Uh, but after a few encounters with the cosmic Christ, that box could not hold the divine I had witnessed. It always (laughs) reminds me of the genie's quote in Aladdin, phenomenal cosmic power, itty bitty living space. (laughs) I have, I've been so grateful for this transition because as God revealed how much bigger they were, it meant that there was so much more room. A longer, wilder table had been set out in the wilderness where everyone was welcome. But with the recognition of this, such an expanse of God, somewhere along the line, I lost the intimacy with Jesus that had been central to my faith for most of my life. It was hard to reconcile both of these things at once. But even in preparing today, I was reminded again, this is who God is. God is the cosmic Christ all around us, larger than the universe, in everything and everyone, but also pours himself into Jesus, who walks around on earth, playing with kids, feeding the hungry, making furniture, pursuing those on the margins, standing up to the empire and telling stories. We need both. I need both. Jesus is both wholly human and utterly cosmic. We need the intimate encounters to be able to see him everywhere else. And we also experience these intimate encounters differently. Creation, spiritual practices, embodied living, deep conversation with friends, prayer. We we experience the cosmic Christ differently, each of us. And these encounters are kind of like strobe light revelations of this cosmic Christ. But he is... If he is everywhere and in everything, then what about verse 10? It says, he was in the world, the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice or recognize him, as it says in the NIV. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him or receive him. The cosmic crisis is still everywhere in the world, whether we take notice or not. In the last few centuries, as Jeff pointed out, we seem to notice less and less. And even in Jesus's time, many people saw him, but didn't recognize him. This whole following Jesus thing, it is an invitation that we have been offered. Believe in me, follow me, be someone who recognizes and receives Christ in the world. And you will get to be part of the mystery. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God selves. So recognizing Christ allows us to return to our deep interconnected identity in this Christ-soaked world. For those who recognize the Christ when they encounter Jesus and see God incarnate in the world, everything changes. Believing and responding to this invitation to live in the light opens up the world, allows us to see the cosmic Christ in all of creation in our families, our kids, our neighbors, our colleagues, the queer community, Buddhists, Muslims, Eastern Orthodox, Jews, Palestinians, politicians, climate activists, socialists, capitalists, anti-vaxxers, trees, pets, oceans, storms, and sunshine. It is inviting you into a deeper mode of seeing, encounters with Jesus where we actually recognize him, peel back the layers and reveal the Christ mystery in the world. When I used to lead Sunday school, we would talk about borrowing Jesus' glasses and seeing the world through his eyes, seeing people as he does. Now, many of us who are gathered here have probably had an encounter moment with Jesus that led us to recognize and believe him and who he claimed to be. We see these encounter moments, the moments where the cosmic Christ is recognized in Jesus throughout the Gospels. The woman at the well interacts with Jesus in a very human Physical way, providing him with water, but through their conversation, she comes to recognize the cosmic Christ in him, the one who knows everything about her and reveals to her her true self, her child of God's self. The men walking to Emmaus end up talking to Jesus and not recognizing him. They weren't able to see the cosmic Christ beyond the human body of Jesus until he shared a meal with them. But the story I want to look at just a little more closely this morning is the story of Mary Magdalene. At the tomb after Jesus was resurrected. Oh, so, one more person willing to read. This. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there, dressed in white, one at the head, the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. They said to her, Woman, why do you weep? They took my master," she said, and I don't know where the After she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize him. Jesus spoke to her. Woman, why do you leave? Who are you looking for? She, thinking that he was the gardener, said, Sir, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. Jesus said, Mary. Turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rabboni, meaning teacher. Jesus said, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I ascend to my father and your father, my God and your father. Thank you. This story, the Emmaus Road story, and pretty much all the post-resurrection accounts of Jesus always seemed strange to me uh, because it made no sense that his most loyal followers didn't recognize him. Mary adored Jesus and had spent so much time in his company, but here it says she thought he was the gardener. More recently, I've come to think about this in relation to the cosmic Christ. Perhaps Jesus looked physically different at this point. Perhaps his physical body was changed post-resurrection. It is not until he says her name in the intimate way, which she must have been used to hearing it throughout their relationship, that she recognizes him. And at this point, Mary recognizes the cosmic Christ in Jesus. Not just the loving friend, the prophet, the teacher that she knew so well, but God incarnate in the person before her. And then he says something strange. Don't cling to me. It sounds so harsh. This is one of his closest friends. But now I can hear a bit of a different meaning in it. Don't cling to me, this human body. Recognize the cosmic Christ that is not bound by one body. For Mary, in that moment, I imagine she had an experience similar to mine in the past decade, though undoubtedly she probably figured it out a lot quicker. For a second, maybe, she lost that personal, intimate connection with the physical friend she had come to know, the one she had chosen to follow because of the love he had shown her and the light and life he had told her about. But those intimate encounters with the person of Jesus were what led Mary to the cosmic Christ. The expansive, transcendent mystery that stayed with her long after the physical body of Jesus was gone. If she had continued to just cling to Jesus in the flesh, she would have missed Christ in the rest of the world once he was gone. And it's the same with me. I have needed the encounters with Jesus through the gospels. Those moments where I've experienced him in the same way as the woman at the well feeling so personally known and loved and hearing his voice, but it can't stop there. The cosmic Christ draws us further. In John 12, to 47, it says, Jesus summed it all up when he cried out, whoever believes in me, believes not just in me, but in the one who sent me. Whoever looks at me is looking, in fact, at the one who sent me. I am light that has come into the world so that all who believe in me won't have to stay any longer in the dark. If anyone hears what I am saying and doesn't take it seriously, I don't reject him. I didn't come to reject the world. I came to save the world. So how does this change how we show up in the world? G.K. Chesterton said, Your religion is not the church you belong to, but the cosmos you live inside of. And Rohr writes, That a cosmic notion of the Christ competes with and excludes no one, but includes everyone and everything. Matthew 5. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So what does following Jesus, the cosmic Christ, poured into flesh and blood look like? Matthew tells us it is being light bearers. Or as it says in our passage today, which just happens to be one of my favorite verses and the one that made me love the message the most. Mm-hmm. We, just like Christ, move into the neighborhood. We really live here in the normal, everyday struggle of life. It's an invitation to be a light bearer. We're invited to look out at the world and all the layers of pain, suffering, sadness, greed, loneliness through the light. The light is poured out in all of creation, in everyone around us. We are invited to bear witness to the light in those around us and not let the darkness cover over our neighbors. And Jesus showed us how to shine the light, to stand in radical solidarity with everyone, the cross being the greatest example of this, and the light spreads. In an interview, uh, one back then, I think, yeah, here we go. Perfect. Thanks. In an, in an interview, Episcopal priest, Reverend Catherine Amy Kropp, noted a call to action in the light of the cosmic Christ. She said, the words are frustrating to me, but I see it and feel that this is the presence of God calling to us now in a way that invites us to see literally with our physical vision, the world is radiant through Christ all the time and that it matters. It's urgent. And then the understanding falls into how we understand social justice and how we see the other as precious and how we see the earth as part of ourselves and ourselves as embedded in the earth. It's become practical for me rather than a vision that's just theological. She went on to talk about how this shows up in small acts of kindness and compassion, recycling your coffee cup, using less plastic bags and maybe even thinking that you matter, that the Christ is radiant in you too. I was talking with my uncle Jim Gurnett around the new year. And most of you who are regulars around here have met him as he's come here to share about the inner city pastoral ministry that we support and the ways that they're caring for our unhoused neighbors. And he was telling me about how they had been gathering folks to bear witness to the removing of the encampments that was happening in Edmonton in December and January. He said that he was one of the few people who showed up at the first one, but then they invited others to come. And as the crowd of witnesses grew, the people who were there dismantling the camps began treating the folks living there with much more dignity. Just witnesses standing there in solidarity, not even engaging in a physical way, changed things dramatically for the folks impacted. The invitation is to be a light bearer. The artist, Scott Erickson, uh, just posted this image last week with this caption. But what occurs in the midst of human suffering is the gathering of human souls around those who are hurting. We have our resources, skills, and technologies to offer, yes, but it seems that what we most deeply need to receive and what we most deeply need to offer is the light of presence. We have the capacity to relight the spark of life in one another, the light of existence, the light that has been embedded in our very existence. And maybe that's why the light said where two or more are gathered, because in that gathering, we become aware of the shared light we are participating with and in. May we never lose sight of the light that shines brightest when we are gathering to care for and love each other. The divine says it's present in that moment. It's some of the most poignant places of incarnation I've ever witnessed. I think there's a lot of truth in that. John 17, 25 to 26 says, Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you. These disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. So as we recognize the cosmic Christ, the divine love in Jesus, in each other, in all of creation, Christ promises to make us our true selves, our child of God selves. Our identity is tied to love and to light. His incarnation reveals our deeper identity as light bearers, as participants in the mystery we see around us. So now we're gonna move into communion, which is a very easy transition in this particular topic. Um, This spiritual practice that we participate in every week is an opportunity to be reminded of the incarnation and resurrection of the cosmic Christ. A reminder that the light cannot be overcome by darkness. The resurrection invites us to a new way of seeing things. I love this quote. It is only one who understands that the darkness cannot overcome the light who is willing to look for light in the darkest of human experiences. Jesus understood this. Jesus walked this life understanding that there was no part of creation or humanity that is not imbued with the life light by nature of its very existence. Through the lens of the cosmic Christ, Jesus stood in radical solidarity with humanity by illuminating the dark, or the sacredness and the dignity of all beings. So we saw Jesus go to the margins, seek out the ones feeling overwhelmed by the darkness and offer them light, revealing our interconnectedness with each other. And then in his greatest act of solidarity, entered into the deepest darkness possible, suffering and death, knowing that the light would not go out. So we're going to read this last scripture from Colossians here. We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and, leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everyone and everything. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. So the risen Jesus reveals to us the pattern that the cosmic Christ follows, always moving toward resurrection and redemption for all creation. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to come up and take these flesh and blood reminders here and return to your seat. I'm going to play a William Matthews song called We'll All Be Free. And while you're sitting and listening, just take a moment to answer this question. Where have you encountered the Cosmic Christ in the world? Have you met a gardener or maybe a neighbor or a colleague or even a close friend or partner and recognized the Christ, the Cosmic Christ in them? Where have you noticed the light breaking through? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for both your expansiveness and the intimacy that you have for us. Thank you that we can find you in everyone and everything. Thank you that you came to the world to save it, not to condemn it, that you came to show us what it's like to be human, to show us how to stand in radical solidarity with each other. Thank you that you came to turn the light on and that you've offered us the chance to live and walk in that light, to see others in that light. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.